find Acts chapter 18 in your Bible. That's where we're going to be today. And you might notice that the sermon title is very similar to last time, God doing what God does, so Paul can do what Paul does, part two. Because today's passage is really a continuation of the first part of chapter 18. It's it continues with the story, and I want to I want to read it, and then we'll kind of do a little review, and then we'll look at it section by section. So, Acts chapter eighteen, verse twelve, says, "When Galileo was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charge, is pursuing that this." persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Interesting little passage, just kind of stuck in the middle of all this. We had, last week when we started this sermon, two weeks ago when I was here, we looked at Acts 18, Paul going to Corinth, we referenced Corinthians and Thessalonians, as Paul, in writing those letters, talked about his time in Corinth. And right at the top of your notes, we discovered that when, when Paul was in Corinth, he was discouraged, lonely, frustrated, fearful, and sick. So when Paul was discouraged, lonely, frustrated, fearful, and sick, God did several things. Number one in your notes, God gave Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla as friends. They had similar backgrounds, similar experiences, uh, they had similar professions, and had similar beliefs. And Paul needed friends at that time, not more ministry partners, but he needed friends to encourage him. And God gave him those two as friends he could relate to. And he brought Silas and Timothy to Paul so that the team was together again. So he not only had Friends who could encourage him, he had friends he could work with. Now eventually, the two groups joined together, and, and they became a team of friends. But Paul needed new people to encourage him. He needed his old people to be working with him, and God provided that for him at this time of discouragement. Number two, God also gave the entire group, which would be all four or five of them and probably some others, he gave them moral and financial support through an offering from Philippi, and, and a surprisingly good report about the church in Thessalonica. So they had been run out of Philippi, and they had been run out of Thessalonica, and Paul sent uh, Silas and Timothy back to check on them, and he got good reports from each. One sent an offering, which was large enough to fund their ministry, and the other came back and said, you won't believe how good the church is doing. And so what seemed like Potential failures of the past really turned out to be success, and that was encouragement. That, that brought the morale up. And then number three, God gave them success in their current ministry. People were being saved, uh, leaders were being saved, 
Jew, Jew, uh, Jewish people, Gentile people, ever, people are being saved, and they're like, okay, this is going good, so we had success. But then maybe the most important thing, God gave Paul clear instructions. He said, stay here, keep preaching. Keep sharing the gospel, stay here. So he gave clear instructions. He gave him a promise of protection. He says, I'm not going to let the Jews run you out of town this time. I'm not going to let the Jews attack you like they have before. So clear instruction, promise of protection, and the time to do the ministry. Verse 11 ends with, and, and Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So when Paul was discouraged, lonely, frustrated, fearful, and sick, and you may identify with one or more of those things, even today, discouraged, lonely, frustrated, fearful, and sick, you may say, hey, I'm, I'm with Paul here. This sounds familiar. I'm being attacked by people because I'm a Christian and or because I'm trying to do something right. I'm being attacked for no reason at all. God will do these things for us. That was the point of that sermon. Now, when we continue reading in verse 12, which we read, we're going to discover that God was still doing things. It doesn't sound on the surface like he's doing things, but we'll read a little bit. We see what God is doing. So we continue on, and you notice this is, that's what, that's what God doing what God does, so Paul can do what he does. Looks like part one, that was part one. Here's part two, divided into three acts. So part two, act one, verses 12 and 13. Let's read that again. When Galileo was pro-council of Acacia, the Jews in Corinth made a united attack on Paul. Now, that sounds contrary to what was just said a verse or two earlier. I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you. It says no one is going to attack and harm you. You've got to read it carefully. There's an attack, but there, there won't be any harm. So it sounds like a contradiction, but we find out that's, that's going to happen. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, was persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. So in your notes, just some things to notice about those two verses. This is a meanwhile passage. So verse 11 says Paul stayed there about a year and a half. Verse 18 says he stayed there for some time. This is in that year and a half during that some time. So this is an example. So the author tells us that Paul received this promise that the Jews will not attack and harm you for a, a long time. He tells us it's going to be 18 months. And then he says, and here's an example. Here's an example of how God is going to keep the Jews from attacking and harming Paul. What God is going to do specifically in this situation to give Paul the time he needs. So it's a meanwhile passage. We've, uh, we might read it as how God stopped the Jews from harming Paul. Or during this 18 months, this is what happened. Um, number two, for those familiar, familiar with local history, Galileo was the proconsul of Acacia. It doesn't seem like that important of a detail, but remember, this was written specifically to people who would read it immediately. And the people who would read it immediately, this gave them a reference, a time reference, which a time reference for them is more valuable than a time reference for us. So, for example... My, my grandparents would talk about certain presidents very familiarly, 
familiarly. I should use smaller words. They talked about them like they actually remembered them. You know why? Because they did. They were alive when they were campaigning and when they were presidents and even after they were president. They remember the things they said and the things they did and the things they got caught doing and all this sort of thing. And they talk about them like it's just first-hand information and, and my generation listens and we're like, who? What? When? How's this relevant? And to them it's very relevant. And then my parents talk about another set of presidents that they lived with and through, and, and they refer to times of, of the past, back when he was president, back when, back when Carter was president, back when uh, Lincoln was president, not my parents, but, you know, <laughs> back when, uh, you know, Reagan was president, and, and now we're entering a time that I can remember, I can barely remember Jimmy Carter being president, I have a certain familiarity with Ronald Reagan being president, and and then I don't have much memory of the first Bush, but I remember the second one, and I remember, I remember Clinton, and I remember Obama, so now we're getting closer to my own frame of reference, and, and so I'll speak about some of those people. I remember when Jimmy Carter did this, I remember when Ronald Reagan did that, and people are like, oh, the president, right? <laughs> yeah, but it seems like we talked about him in school, and I feel old, but it's our frame of reference, so... The writer was giving me a frame of reference, so for probably a couple of generations moving forward, the people that lived in the area that received these letters, they had a frame of reference, and that's why that's there. So now historians can look back, and they can read documents, and they can do some deciphering, and they can figure out exactly when this guy was ruling, because they changed a lot back and forth. And, and now they can identify exactly when this was, and it helps us with references and stuff. So that's why we have his name, and, and not just his title. But more interesting than that, number three, this was a united attack. This is a, a new phrase. We haven't heard this phrase before. It's, it's something that's come up, and it's, it's sort of unique. The Jewish people did not unite on very many fronts. War would be something they would unite for. Otherwise, they argued among themselves quite well and quite often. The Sadducees didn't really like the Pharisees. The scribes liked whoever they worked for. The teachers of the law, they were a third group. Then the, the Essenes and the Zealots. Everybody thought everyone else was a sellout for one reason or another. They didn't go far enough or they went too far. They, they were too controversial or they were too conservative. They didn't get all that much together. But here, all of a sudden, they unite because Paul is a problem. And they're getting a little tired of Paul being a problem, so they get together, they unite. And uh, B, in your notes there, they try to end Paul. They try to end Paul, and in a similar way that they ended Jesus, in quotation marks, because they really didn't end Jesus, but they tried to. So once before the Jewish people all got together and they spun their tails and they told their lies and they did their manipulation and they got the Romans to do their dirty work. They got the Romans to execute Jesus. They, they got him on the cross. And that was really the last success they'd ever had. And whether these guys thought, let's do it again, or that's just kind of the way the Jewish mind works, or... Well, that's how these people's mind worked. They ended up kind of repeating the process, and they said, let's trump up some charges against 
of Paul and let's, let's deal with him. Let's get rid of him. We got rid of Jesus and we can get rid of Paul. That's going to solve some problems. And so they trumped up these charges and they went to the Romans again. Number four. The Jews brought charges to the Romans, accusing Paul of a Roman offense, hoping for a Roman solution. Of course, the Roman solution was usually death or, or long-term imprisonment. And if they could get either of those, then Paul's out of the picture, and now they have a precedent to, to work on others. So the, the charge they, they bring is he's causing people to serve gods that aren't lawful. And it's, it's kind of a, a Jewish way of thinking, but appealing to the Romans, because the Romans wanted to have Caesar be the top god. And so the Romans had Caesar worship, but they allowed other groups to worship their gods. They preferred that you worshiped your gods in subordination to their god. But as long as you weren't causing trouble, they would allow you to worship your god. But it was an approved kind of thing. Like, we approved your god, you can... You can worship them. So they came along and said, hey, Christians are worshiping Jesus, and this is not an approved God, um, so we need to stop him. Okay, so the Jews brought these charges. The charge was that Paul wanted Jews to worship a God in a different, illegal way. Number five, Judaism was allowed under Roman law, but the Jews were saying that Christianity is not Judaism. They're saying it's not Judaism. So the Jews are coming up from the, hey, uh, this whole Christianity thing, this is not us. And, and therefore, they're introducing a new religion that is not part of our culture. We, we don't approve, and we'd like you to stop it. So this really feels like an attack. It is an attack. It's a united attack. They're really putting all the eggs in this basket, and they're going, we're going to get rid of Paul once and for all. But verse 13, Act 2. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, now, now I think Paul's taking a deep breath, he's formulating these thoughts, he's about ready to talk, he's probably going to say something about I'm a Roman citizen and I'm a Jew, and, and this is exactly what Judaism was always supposed to become, Christianity is probably going to say something like that. But Gallio spoke first and he said, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, he's like, if you really had a crime to present, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle them out of yourselves. I will not be the judge of such things. So he drove them off. That's, that's Act 2. So, in your notes, before Paul could even speak, Galileo ruled on the matter. A, he said Christianity is a sect of Judaism, so it's allowed. And he just kind of cut, cut right to the chase, and he said, you guys are trying to tell me this is new. It's not new. This is part of Judaism. He came from Judaism. It's, it's not, I'm not buying that. B, this whole thing is just a bunch of trumped-up charges with no merit. He said, if you guys had something actual to bring me, an actual charge, an actual crime, I'd be glad to hear it. But there is no crime here. This is part of Judaism. Okay, and then C, goes, this is your problem, not mine. And the dean said, leave me alone. Quit wasting my time. So, it's as if God stepped in and spoke through this Roman authority and said, actually, no, there's nothing here. Uh, you need to stop this. This is not a big deal. Number two, he notes, Galileo's judgment made 
Paul's ministry in Christianity legal from that point on, which was a big deal. Now, I don't know how much this spread outside of Corinth being legal, but for 18 months in Corinth, this person's ruling was not precedent. And so there were no charges to be brought by the Jews against the Christians for false religion or false teaching or worshiping some new god or doing anything that the Romans hadn't already said was allowed. So for 18 months, the Jews had nothing to bring to the Romans. That sounds like God protecting Paul's ministry. That sounds like God saying, they won't attack and hurt you. The attack actually helped Paul, made his ministry stronger, made him able to move in circles more freely. So in the notes, the proconsul's decision set a precedent, much like our Supreme Court. So any future accusations would fall against this ruling, and they're allowed. They are now a protected religion, just like Judaism, and even as a part of Judaism. B, in similar future matters, this decision would determine future rulings. C, if Galileo, I can't say this guy's name. If Galileo had ruled differently, Paul would have been out of business, and Christianity would have been a punishable offense, at least in Corinth. So Paul was supposed to be here 18 months. If these Jewish people had been successful, and Galileo had ruled in their favor, then all of a sudden, Paul would have been an illegal preacher of an illegal religion. And all those people that God wanted Paul to talk to, it would have been much harder to get to them. So God, through the Roman government, in opposition to the Jews, protected Paul, not only kept them from hurting him, but put him in a position for great success. That's Act 2. Now, Act 3, verse 17. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. You can almost see this happening. First of all, who's Sosthenes, the synagogue leader? Just a few verses earlier, we had someone else, the, the synagogue leader, Crispus. But what happened to Crispus? He got saved. And so Crispus got saved, so the Jews can't have a Christian as their synagogue leader, so they got rid of Crispus as a synagogue leader, and they put Sosthenes in his place. So now the new synagogue leader, probably trying to, you know, win the approval of those who put him into power, uh, who was probably one of the ones who didn't like Paul, didn't like what was happening, it's as if, it would seem as if, Sosthenes was the ringleader here. Maybe even the spokesman. So he went to the proconsul and he said, Galileo, I speak for the Jewish people. We have all of us here. All the leaders are here. I speak for all of them. And we all agree that. And then he presented his case and Galileo said, you got nothing. Leave me alone. Get out of here. And then the people, the crowd there, turned on Sosthenes. So it's, it's kind of like somebody says, great job, Sosthenes. I thought you could handle this. Maybe words were exchanged, I don't know. But they didn't just walk away. They took it out on him. And they beat him. And then the, the proconsuls just sat there and went, you yeah, know, whatever, take care of it yourself. Looks like a good solution to me. And, and this went on. And so it's, it's kind of ironic that they went after Paul and it ended up attacking one of their own. 
Okay? But in your notes, Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, was beaten because of his failure. Okay, his failure. And Galileo didn't care. Again, it was their problem. It shows the anger and frustration in, in this whole matter. But I want to jump right to the next one. What did God do through all of this? Remember, the premise was God doing what God does so Paul can do what Paul does. How does, how does this help Paul? Well, it helped Paul by giving him legal status. It helped Paul by opening doors instead of closing doors. The Jews no longer had a means to attack him through the Romans. They were only back to their arguing status. That, that all happened. But um, what, what was God doing? Well, one, he kept his promise, which is great. We should always recognize God keeping promises. He kept his promise to Paul to eliminate the threat from the Jews. Two, he gave Paul a legal precedent to continue preaching about Jesus. All right, he gave him a legal precedent. And three, he continued to give Paul and his team local ministry success. Where's, where's the success, you say? Well, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 1.1. You don't have to turn there. It's a short verse. I'll read it to you. It says, this is the opening statement in the letter to the Corinthians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. You catch that? The letter to the Corinthians is from Paul and our brother Sosthenes. So sometime between him getting beat up for not being a very good opponent of Paul, and Paul writing 1 Corinthians, Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, got saved. So we had the first leader of the synagogue getting saved, and his replacement as leader of the synagogue getting saved. And now all of a sudden, we say, well, God, good job. Right? I'm sure Sosthenes had no clue what was happening when he was beaten for his failure. And we don't know how bad they beat him, but enough that he got written about, and it was from a crowd, so think of a riot-type situation. But not having any of the story, maybe we can assume a few things correctly. I would imagine, and I'm imagining, I want to make that clear, I'm imagining that when the crowd beat Sosthenes, and then they left him there, I mentioned it was Paul and Silas and Priscilla and Aquila and Timothy. They came over and said, hey, let us help you. Can you just see that happening? Doesn't that seem like exactly what Paul and his friends would do? And then Sosthenes getting help from the very people he just tried to, frankly, get executed by the Romans are now helping him. All of a sudden he sees things differently. Wow, you guys seem like you truly follow God. Your actions are godly. The traditional Jewish religion didn't seem very godly. Matter of fact, we were trying to kill you, and they failed, so they beat me up. That doesn't sound very godly, but you guys came to my aid. Tell me more. And I imagine that conversation led to his salvation. So the application to this and, and much more is, is three things. 
And the one God is always at work. God is always at work. Let's let's look back a little bit. Uh, just in Paul's life, he he meets Lydia in a town where there is no synagogue. There's not even enough practicing Jewish men to have a synagogue. He finds this woman who's a who's a faithful believer in God shares the gospel, she gets saved. That leads to eventually Paul receiving an offering from the church that was formed in that city. Beyond that, Lydia probably took the gospel back to her hometown and started a church in Thyatira, one of the churches we read about in Revelation. God is always working. Paul gets beaten and arrested and thrown in jail. Not fun for anybody. Like, wow, people got saved, now I'm in jail. They beat me with rods. That's not fun. I know, let's sing. They sing. There's this miraculous jail opening. All the doors open, all the chains fall off, and just when the guard is about to kill himself because he'd rather die at his own hand than the Roman hand, Paul yells out, hey, we're all still here. Again, the guard comes baffled that they're still there. Why would they still be there? What makes you different than everyone else? Paul shares the gospel with the guard. He shares the gospel with the guard's family. The guard and his entire family get saved. And now we have the church there with Lydia's family and his family. And later we find out there's a third family. Now we have the church in that, in that city. He goes on, there's a riot, all these things, all these bad things happen. And every time something bad happens, God uses it for his glory. Priscilla and Aquila, living a good life in Rome. They're making money, they're part of the trade kind of thing, they're wealthy enough to be taking care of themselves. So all of a sudden, the announcement's made. No Jews allowed in Rome anymore. If you're a Jew and you're living here past this date, you're going to be arrested. All your stuff's going to be taken away from me. From you, you're not allowed to be here. You need to leave. They pack up. They take what they can. They leave. They head to Corinth. They arrive in Corinth. They're trying to find a home. They get there, and they meet Paul. They meet this guy who's been sharing the gospel, who's discouraged, disgruntled, sick, depressed, and alone, and they say, hey, we know how you're feeling. We just got kicked out of Rome. We just lost all our stuff. We're practically homeless. The only thing we have is that we're really good leather workers. Paul's like, hey, you know what? I'm a leather worker too. Let's work together. Yeah, hey, what do you do? Well, I, I'm a missionary. I share, I share the message of the Messiah. That's awesome. We believe in the Messiah. And this friendship is born. That friendship will carry on. We're going to find out later. God is always at work, even when it doesn't seem like it. Number two, sometimes it's obvious. A lot of times it's pretty obvious that God's at work. Paul has a vision. Hey, I don't want you to go where you're planning to go. I want you to go to Macedonia. Okay, God's at work. Sometimes God's pretty obvious. Speaking to Paul in another vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have, made peop- I have many people in this city. So Paul stays. Sometimes 
God's not so obvious. Every Jewish organization in town is, is plotting against Paul. Okay? Yet the end result of all these plots, including Sosthenes being beaten, is that Sosthenes gets saved. So God is always at work. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's not. I'm going to tell one of Steve's stories since he's not here to tell it. Okay, so you all know that Steve has cancer. We prayed for him today. He's going to have surgery. You all know, probably, if you didn't, Steve had cancer before. He had colon cancer before. It almost got him, from what I understand. But he, he lived through that, and, and he's been living his life, and, and one of the things Steve does is he shares Christ with people. Sees them on the street, he shares Christ. Has them in his home, he shares Christ. He, he opens, he's open for opportunities. So, Steve has a neighbor building a house, and I'll skip through the back part of the story, but one morning, there's a truck driver out in the front of a super long truck trying to figure out how to get down the neighbor's driveway. Steve goes out to see if he can help him. They start having a conversation. How are you doing today? Well, not that great. Oh, really? Why? What's going on? Well, I think I have colon cancer. I thought I had colon cancer. I'm having the symptoms. I think I have colon cancer. What did God do? He connected this guy who thinks he has colon cancer with Steve who's already lived through colon cancer. And Steve says, you know what? I, I had colon cancer. Let's talk about it. They talked about it. Steve's prompted to continue on and share the gospel. He shares the gospel with him. And you know what? Lo and behold, the guy says, you know, my father tried to, tried to teach us the Bible. And I've got this friend named Tom who keeps talking to me about Jesus and inviting me to church. What church do you go to, Steve? I'll go to Heritage Bible Church. No way. That's the church Tom goes to. Do you know him? Yeah, I do. This is really weird. I can't believe that I'm talking to someone from this church who's a friend of this other person who I'm talking to about church, and both of them are telling me I need Jesus. Conversation ends with Steve saying, can I pray for you? Yeah, pray for me. Don't know where that's going to go. Don't know what's going to happen. But God is always at work. God is always at work. What are the odds that, that the lumber truck driver that's going to show up and need some help getting down the driveway is going to be the very one that has colon cancer and is going to talk to the guy on the street that also had, has had colon cancer. Um, I'll continue a little bit. Steve's attitude right now is I'm, I'm here to be used by God. This is another opportunity for me to have conversations with people. Sometimes what God is doing is obvious. Sometimes it's not. I remember when we prayed for Andrew, passed his last test so he can graduate from college, so he can get on with life, so he can get the new job, so he can provide for his family, all these things, which were all good things, which we all wanted. And no, 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 no. Kids never fail a test in his life. He's failed the same test four times. How is this possible? This is terrible. God, what are you doing? How can you not answering our prayers? Oh, you have cancer. Really glad you didn't move to Indiana before you found out you had cancer. He goes through the whole process. While he has cancer being treated, he finishes his degree. When he's done, then he can move to Indiana. The whole time, God was at work. Was it obvious? No. <laughs> was it confusing? Yes. 
And were there a lot of questions that we couldn't answer? Absolutely. In hindsight, though, all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. You're like, wow, that was incredible. If you pay attention in your life, and you pay attention to what's going on, you will see God working through the good, through the bad, and through the ugly. And you will suffer the ugly because God has something great in store. And the only pathway to great is through ugly or through bad. And we have to believe that God has a plan and that God is always working so that we can trust him to walk beside us and give us where we need to be so that we can rejoice in what God did. That impact might be a guy named Sosthenes getting saved because he got beat up. It might be a relative who has the gospel and who listen now for the first time because of the circumstances they're going through. It may be all kinds of things. Truth is, we may never actually know what it is sometimes. We may never know what God is doing. He's not obligated to tell us. When we get a view of what God's doing, it's wonderful. Sometimes we also have to trust God and say, you're the sovereign God who is in charge. And even though you may not want this to happen, you will still work in spite of it. And you are working and you will get to the point where you receive honor and glory and people are saved and, and, and my life is better and my relationship with you is better. And I'm going to trust you for that point in time, even though I'm standing over there, and I don't have any idea what's going on. And I don't understand, and it doesn't seem to be working. We have to be those kind of people. Because God is always working, and God is always working on your behalf, and he's always working on my behalf, and he's always working on the church's behalf. And he's always working for his kingdom. And the awesome thing about God is all those things are the same for him. They're the same. There is no split loyalties. They're the exact same thing. When God is glorified, it benefits us. When God benefits us, he's glorified. And it works so much better than I can explain. That Sosthenes, by the time he's helping Paul write this letter to the Corinthian church, is really glad he got beat up that day. The next day, probably not so happy. Think about it. We're just going to stop there. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Father God, sometimes it seems like there's way too much going on for you to be using it. Too many things we don't understand. Too many things we don't like. Too many things that we have literally played against. And, and too many ways that we're being attacked. But you are always at work. Thank you for the times it's obvious and we can see it and we can immediately praise you for it. And thank you for the times that's not obvious because we know you're working. But Father, help us to have that hindsight so we can look back and we can see what you're doing and what you've done. And help what we know of the past give us the faith to move forward in the future so that we can trust you for the future. And there is no promise it's going to be easy. I wish there was. 
Even that we can thank you for because it's your process and eternity is going to be incredible. And we can live through whatever happens here because we're going to have eternal life there. Help these things to just soak our hearts and our minds and penetrate our souls so that we can have this understanding of who you are and what you do because you do what you do so that we can do what you've called us to do. Just help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.